Hello everyone, welcome and welcome back to my channel, Amin. So today I've got another sensational case that happened in Hong Kong. In a nutshell, it involves a person conspiring with a friend to murder and dismember his own parents. However, the societal reflections triggered by this case make it impossible not to contemplate. We, as Eastern Asians, are actually greatly harmed by this existing patriarchal system. Education, mental health, and family relationships are all distorted due to this oppressive system. The reasons behind today's case are stated by one of the perpetrators, also stem from this problem. Of course, through investigations and a series of evidence presented in court, Everything coped with the vastly different accounts from the two culprits makes this case even more perplexing. So what is it? Without further ado, let's dive right into it. On the 12th of March 2013, a new page named Missing Mom Dad was published on Facebook. The owners of this page are two brothers the elder brother and his younger brother, Henry Cho. Shortly after, this account posted a missing person's notice seeking help to locate their disappeared parents. A little over a week ago, on the morning of the 1st of March 2013, the elder brother, feeling under the weather due to a heavy cold, garrockly exchanged greetings with their parents who were about to leave. That night, the parents didn't return home, Henry Cho informed his brother that they went out to a distant place to meet old friends for tea and might stay overnight nearby. The next evening, Henry Cho told his brother that he had lunch with their parents at a restaurant in Hong Kong somewhere. And at 2pm, their parents took a direct cross-border bus to the mainland, but didn't specify the exact city they were heading to. In the following days, the brothers neither saw their parents returned home, not received any messages from them. Calls to their mobile phones went straight to voicemail. By the 5th of March, the brothers were growing increasingly anxious due to this complete lack of communication from their parents. As the Cho couple had relatives and two properties in Shenzhen city, the brothers went to Shenzhen on the 6th of March to look for clues and question all their relatives there, but they found no leads. On the same evening, the brothers finally went to the police station to file a report. The police made a record and advised them to keep in touch with all of their families, right? So they informed their uncle's family, sharing the details of their parents' disappearances. On the 8th of March, the elder brother went to the police station again and the police suggested reporting the case to the mainland. However, one day later, on the 9th of March, after checking immigration records, the police discovered that their parents had never left Hong Kong. On the 11th of March, the uncle, aunt and a cousin who worked at the church came to the Cho family to help the brothers checked their parents' letters and bank accounts. Henry Cho, the younger brother, asked 
the cousin to inquire with the bank in their mother's name to access the credit card transaction records, but they got nothing, of course, because you know she is not the person. On the same day, the Cho brothers also contacted a media outlet, inviting them to shoot a missing persons video at their home. Henry Cho was in the video wearing a grey turtleneck sweater and a microphone, and talking confidently during this interview. Henry said his parents are doing well financially and don't have much debt. It's been more than a week since they went missing, but family hasn't received any ransom demands. The brothers also checked the bank accounts and didn't find any big money transfers or expenses around the time when their parents disappeared. He thinks that his parents didn't disappear because of money issue, but because of something unexpected. He thinks they might have been hiking in a secluded area since they'd like to climb, you know, especially those faraway mountains. He guesses that they might have fallen while climbing, or they might have taken a shady taxi and been robbed. He hopes. People in the mountains will keep an eye out for them. However, he also pointed out that their parents' behavior this time is different from usual. In the past, when they traveled, they always informed the family of their destination and stayed in touch. This time, they didn't provide any information, and their phones were all turned off. In the final part of the interview, Henry Cho expressed regret, saying, "Coded, we have done everything we can." Uncoded. On the twelfth of March, the brothers posted requests for help online, sharing information on Facebook, hoping that if anyone encounters an elderly couple, they can get in touch with them. In 2013, there were CCTV and communication devices that were easily accessible, which was different from the previous century. So it's quite surprising that a couple in their sixties, who were not extremely frail or incapable, were missing in a bustling metropolis like Hong Kong. What adds to the intrigue is that the family of this missing couple used the flourishing social media of that time to post a highly attention-grabbing plea for help. You can imagine how much uproar the disappearance of this couple would have caused in the Hong Kong society back then. With favorable conditions and timely response, in just under two weeks, the police conducted a highly effective investigation into this case. The whole process and details of the case are truly astonishing. So, what could have possibly happened? On the second of March, twenty thirteen, when the parents were discovered missing, the Cho brothers took matters into their own hands and conducted an unsuccessful search. On the ninth of March, after their independent efforts yielded no results, the elder brother decided to report it to the police. The Hong Kong police, upon receiving the report, initiated an investigation through this、uh, missing persons unit. They found that Mr. and Mrs. Chow had no relevant customs records, indicating that they had left Hong Kong. However, there was no evidence or leads regarding the whereabouts of this missing couple either. On the 13th of March, just four days after the Chow brothers reported it to the police, Henry Chow gave an interview 
to a television station. During the interview, he appeared calm and did not display any signs of anxiety, calmly seeking assistance from the public. This TV interview gathered more attention to the case over the missing couple, of course. On the same day when the interview had taken place, the Hong Kong police transferred the case from the Specialized Missing Persons Unit to the Serious Crime Unit. Less than 24 hours after taking over the case, at 7 a.m. on the 15th of March, the Serious Crime Unit apprehended Henry Cho at his residence. Shortly after his arrest, Henry Cho revealed his accomplice, a friend who was. Five or six years older than him. At 10 a.m. on the same day, this crime unit also arrested his accomplice, Angus. So let's look at how the police figured out who the suspects were and caught them. After taking over the case, this serious crime unit, following the handover from this、uh, missing persons unit, they started scrutinizing the mobile communication records. Bank deposits and credit card transactions of these two missing people. Simultaneously, they examined surveillance footage around their residence, hoping to pinpoint their last known location. According to Henry Cho's statement, he and his parents parted ways around 2 p.m. on the 2nd of March at a specific location. However, despite repeatedly reviewing the surveillance footage near this、uh, mentioned place. The police couldn't spot the trio. The couple hadn't returned home since leaving at 11:19 a.m. on the 1st of March, accompanied by exactly this Henry Cho. The police traced their movements, discovered that the three of them took a bath together at 11:26 a.m. Henry Cho and his parents passed by a gas station, and 14 minutes later, they entered a building. It's this one that displayed on the screen. However, at 12 p.m., Henry Cho left the building alone, and his parents were not seen outside of the building afterwards. This raised suspicions that Henry Cho might be lying. As Henry Cho's interviews gained exposure, several Hong Kong media outlets started covering the case, encouraging public attention. So most people knew about this. On an online forum, amateur detective closely analyzed the footage of Henry Cho's interviews, noticing his evasive eye movements and a peculiar smile while answering a particular question. And there were numerous inconsistencies in his statements. Firstly, the claim of the Cho couple going missing after traveling to the mainland. Was provided precisely by Henry Cho, but the police found no records of them leaving Hong Kong. Secondly, why wouldn't the mother tell them where they were going and when they would come back? And why didn't Henry Cho ask about it like he did before? Additionally, the brothers waited several days before beginning to look for their parents instead of reporting them missing right away, which didn't make sense. As these opinions continued to spread, some people shared that they were acquainted with Henry Cho and described him as someone with very extreme views and a negative outlook on the world. 
Subsequently, others on the social media revealed tweets from Henry Chose that showed he was not happy with his family, indicating that they were having quite a strained relationship. Consequently, more people began to believe that there was a connection between Henry Cho and his parents' disappearance. On the 14th of the March, the police asked the Cho brothers to come back to the station for more questions because the CCTV didn't match up with what Henry Cho had said. The older brother kept saying the same thing, while. Henry Cho talked a lot about his personal life and family, but he never mentioned exactly when he was with his parents, having on the second of March. After this second time questioning with the police, Henry Cho might have felt something really strange, so he sent a message over WhatsApp to his cousin when he got home. With the messages, he said he wanted to meet her that day to discuss more onto this case, and added a sentence saying something like, "If we can't meet, I might not have a chance to tell the truth." His cousin was at work at the time, so she suggested that she could meet him up after work. Right? Henry said his brother wouldn't come, but he brought along his friend for over twenty years. In the early morning of the fifteenth. The exhausted cousin met him as planned at a 24-hour McDonald's. Sorry, I smile because everyone loves to meet at McDonald's. Anyway, the first thing Henry asked was, "Can Christians forgive people?" Then he told his cousin he had killed and dismembered his parents. His cousin was shocked and speechless. Henry said. His parents had super high expectations of him since young. That became too much to bear, and they were never able to fulfill his financial or emotional needs. He said his childhood was not happy. His parents fought a lot, and his dad was angry and would hit his brother, who would then take it out on him. This made him hate his family since he was a child. He said that things that happened to him when he was a kid make him think that he had psychopathy. This made it hard for him to feel empathy for other people, and he didn't express his emotions in the same way that most people do. He had always felt like he was having really bad day and was feeling down, and had even thought about ending his own life. But after seeing his friend Angus, who he's known for a long time. He went from thinking about suicide to wanting to hurt someone else. He said August had similar thoughts and feelings, so they understood each other well enough, and so they planned the murder together a few months ago. He also confessed that he had considered killing his older brother, but after his parents disappeared, his brother's attitude towards him became very good, so he changed his mind. Henry Cho admitted that he didn't have the courage to confess the truth to his brother face to face, and requested his cousin to convey this message. After some thoughts, his cousin calmed down and asked Henry Cho to surrender to the police. Henry Cho agreed, but he did not want to disturb the police officers because it was late at the time. He said he would turn himself in the next morning. The three of them left around 3 a.m. 
However, hours before Henry Cho confessed to his cousin, he had already admitted to killing his parents in an online chat group. On that night, someone in the group called the cops. So at 7:05 in the morning, the police knocked on the Cho family's door and arrested Henry Cho on charges of murder. After the police read him his rights, Henry Cho immediately admitted that. He and his friend Angus had killed his parents at home, and his brother, who was nearby, was completely shocked. The Cho couple and their two sons have been living in this place for over twenty years. In the eyes of their neighbors, the couple was very affectionate, leading a very healthy lifestyle, hiking, walking. Buying groceries and cooking together every day. After retirement, they sustained their livelihood by renting out a few properties they bought during their younger days. As for the two sons, the elder one, who was known for being honest and responsible, and also took good care of his parents. On the other hand, the younger son Henry Cho falls short in comparison. Henry Cho was sent to Australia to study when he was young, but he seemed unhappy with what his parents did for him. Unable to complete his studies, he departed from school in Australia and promptly returned to Hong Kong. The elder brother said they weren't close and hardly talked. He feels that Henry lives in his own world and always thinks that everyone owes him. You know these. Kinds of people usually carry around their super negative vibe, like they are wrapped up in this bubble of negativity. Every conversation with them just feels uncomfortable and leaves you speechless. Henry Cho is that type of person, in his elder brother's eyes. After dropping out of Australia, Henry Cho often found excuses to change job or stay at home without working. The longest period of employment lasted only about a year. In recent years, this situation had risen, and he had become very silent. However, it's worth noting that his former colleagues seem to present a completely different image of Henry Cho. They described him as a very talkative person who enjoyed competitive games, had many friends, and had his own thoughts, like philosophy. Loved pets and had confidence in his investment skills. He often shared his views on the property market and stocks with his colleagues. However, he can be quite talkative at times, but then suddenly goes silent like a computer that just shut down out of nowhere. On the other hand, Henry chose set a timeline for himself. If he didn't achieve some certain level of success by the age of thirty. He planned to commit suicide, and everyone around him seems to know about this. However, he didn't strive towards success, but continued to live in his own world without stable employment. Seeing that his self-imposed deadline was approaching, what could he do? Back in two thousand and six. Henry Cho met Angus. Both of them were working at an art auction company, dealing with orders, printing documents, and such. They became friends and left their jobs at the end of 
what days they didn't touch. Henry often invited Angus out for meals, and they chatted online as well. Since both faced setbacks in society, they could relate to each other and found solace. By early 2012, Angus and Henry's communication on MSN became more frequent. According to Henry, the first time they discussed killing was in September 2012. Henry invited Angus for coffee, pouring out his lifelong pain. He felt everything was arranged by his parents, and after growing up, there was no one to understand him. He lacked friends to share his views on classic music, World War Two, and Hitler. Yes, he loved Hitler. He mentioned wanting to commit suicide on his thirtieth birthday, following Hitler's cyanide ingestion after the fall of Berlin. He expressed the desire to take a few people he hated with him before dying. Henry said that August told him that he had tried to kill himself twice and told him that it was pointless. Instead of suicide, Angus suggested seeking revenge on the world. Living life on their terms and pursuing what they wanted is like a snake in his description. Henry was persuaded, thinking, "My parents put a lot of pressure on me. My dad is cocky, and my mother always wears a sad look. That's really disappointing." He chose to make a plan to murder his parents because he thought that if they were no longer around, he could start fresh. So on the thirteenth of October, twenty twelve, Angus found out online that the Hong Kong police had difficulty progressing cases of Hong Kong residents missing in mainland China. If a person is missing for seven years, the law considers them to be dead, and their heirs can claim their belongings and properties. Harry wanted his parents to disappear in Shenzhen, and he and August even scouted the area. Due to extensive surveillance and Harry's unfamiliarity with the local terrain in Shenzhen, he changed his mind and opted to commit the crime in Hong Kong locally. On the thirteenth of October, twenty twelve, Harry asked. Angus on MSN to inquire with his girlfriend about the cheapest nail polish remover. Why? He mentioned that the cheaper the remover, the higher does acetone content. Henry also said they needed to buy industrial masks, glasses, and gloves because he feared being poisoned before implementing the plan. But this plan to buy nail polish remover with acetone. Was ultimately not executed. According to Henry, the two of them spent over an hour every week meticulously planning to kill his parents. On the twenty-fifth of October, Henry expressed how much he disliked his mother on Facebook, saying, "Quoted, I'm growing more and more dislike of talking, especially with Hong Kong women, because when they speak, there are usually only three situations." One, openly expressing their ignorance and stupidity. Two, actually, she doesn't even know she's stupid, but she will argue to prove she's not. Three, 
saying she's very smart with extremely annoying and self-righteous expectation and body language. But what she's saying, but what she says, makes you feel her IQ has improved since graduating from high school. On the 18th of December, 2012, Henry complained about his family on Facebook, saying, "Got scolded because I came home too late from playing games at night." On the 20th of December, 2012, Henry Cho posted this intriguing blog entry: "Father, I am too destroyed and deprived to understand. What is the point of confession if I do not repent?" The scene in Angus's apartment was quite a surprise for the police and the forensic team who entered. The air didn't smell like decaying bodies; instead, it was filled with the scent of disinfectant and air fresheners. The apartment had a living room, kitchen, bathroom, and three bedrooms. As in this picture, that room E was Angus's bedroom, while room C and D had doors taped closed. And towers wedged underneath. In the living room, the investigators found a hand cart, two bags of cement, a backpack, over a dozen pairs of work gloves, and activated charcoal. Bloodstains were discovered in various places in the living room, including on the walls, refrigerators, and cabinets. Upon opening room C, blasts of cold air hit them. On one side of the room, two small refrigerators were secured with iron chains. Above each refrigerator sat a microwave. Both refrigerators were taped shut at the door and padded with towels at the bottom, which the forensic believe was to prevent liquids from seeping out. And what was in the refrigerators? I bet you've guessed it. They contained body parts. In one of the refrigerators, a woman's head was padded with a towel in this fridge, and in the freezer compartment were two white lunch boxes containing human tissue and organs. And when they opened the second refrigerator, they found a man's head was placed with a towel underneath it, and it was just like how they found it in the first refrigerator. On the freezer level, also on a towel, were placed two white lunch boxes, also containing human organs. There was also a white plastic bag containing large human remains. Each of the two microwaves in the apartment had a white bowl with a yellow oily substance inside and on the glass plate. Forensic tests showed that the oily substance in these Microwaves was actually heated human grease. Next to the fridge was the big black trash bag, which Henry later said had clothes and IDs of his parents who died there. In the entryway, there was a pile of items, including a bicycle, duct tape, two rice cookers, and over six hundred disposable lunch boxes. Room D. Had air conditioning and a big wooden table. As soon as they walked in, they could see a cutting board on the table, and it was covered in blood. 
Below the table were two red plastic buckets, a saucepan, and two knives. In one of those red plastic buckets, it had a rice cooker liner inside, while the other had seven knives, broken saw blades, and other tools. And there were three black garbage bags, were neatly stacked against the wall, each sealed with tape and holding a sealed black plastic box. Inside this plastic box, there were three more sealed plastic bags, each containing human body parts. You know, three large boxes, and within the boxes were bags. It's like the Russian nesting dolls, one layers inside another. The first. Sealed plastic bag contained five human limbs, one of which had six fingers on the left hand. It was discovered that Henry Cho's father also had exactly six fingers on his left hand, and along with the limbs, there were also rotten skin and flesh and ground meat with salt stains. The second sealed bag contained a right food and some ground meat as well, and finally the third contained a left food and also ground meat. In addition to the body parts, each sealed plastic bag also contains a bunch of deodorant balls, bagged insect repellent, and drying agents. After DNA testing, it was confirmed that the deceased. Individuals were indeed Mr. and Mrs. Cho. Over the course of three days, technicians found thirteen air fresheners bottles, seven empty bleach bottles, twenty-nine towels, eight packs of sand, seventeen packets of cement, nine packets of soap, two industrial eye masks, four rice cookers with white rice, two metal pots. Two induction cookers and six hundred and fifteen sets of new lunch boxes in Angus' apartment. The suspected tools they used for the murder include four fruit knives, three meat cleavers, and a pair of fruit tongs, an iron saw, and two broken saw blades. All of which have bloodstains on them. Henry Cho and Angus' fingerprints were found on the taped. Paper sealing the cracks of two doors. Handwriting notes were discovered under Angus' bed, containing shopping lists and instructions on bloodletting after the murder. A further examination showed that the male victim was missing his left thigh, left calf, and right calf, while the female was missing her right forearm and palm. According to Henry Cho's confession, he threw some of the body parts into the sea on the evening of the seventh of March, because the body parts had been dismembered, sorted, and microwaved. It was difficult for the forensic pathologist to accurately deduce the time of death. The male victim had wounds on his neck and chest caused by a sharp instrument. And the female had frontal stabbing sharp instrument wounds on her neck and chest, in addition to six wounds on her chin. The forensics summarized that the neck and chest wounds of these two victims were most likely the cause of their deaths. 
After careful detection, the police confirmed that Angus' apartment was where the killings and dismemberment of the bodies first occurred. Starting from 2010, August has been sharing an apartment in this building with his sister and her boyfriend. In January 2013, Henry Chow gave Angus about 20,000 Hong Kong dollars in cash, asking him to lie to his sister and his sister's boyfriend, saying something like, "The developer of this building had redevelopment plans and convinced them." To move out of this building, freeing up the apartment for their tourism plan, because Henry Cho believed that the original refrigerator they used in the apartment was not sufficient to store two bodies. So on the tenth of January, twenty thirteen, August bought a second-hand larger refrigerator at a relatively low price under his order. At the same time. Following Henry Cho's instructions, Angus went to several different convenience stores and bought a total of twelve SIM cards, six for each of them. The two of them also purchased two burner phones to discuss their murderous plans, using these phones and cards to avoid police tracking. In February 2013, Henry Cho wrote the murder notes and handed them over to Angus. Syringe and lunchbox, prominently written in large font, on the first page. Henry Cho planned to use a 50 ml syringe to drain his parents' blood, calculating that only about a hundred draws would be needed to drain one person's blood, totaling 4.7 to 5 liters. Henry Cho planned to dismember one body over three days. The murder notes also marked. Four garbage collection points in their local areas for disposing of the bodies. Henry Cho again gave Angus another twenty grand Hong Kong dollar to purchase tools and specifically instructed him to buy a fifty mil syringe from a mainland Chinese seller on the internet. The two went to a store together and bought ten knives. Angus, on his own, bought a bonsaw, a meat cleaver. A steak knife, curtains, a black backpack, bleach, air freshener, work gloves, industrial eye protection, um, garbage bags, a cutting board, rice, salt, a hammer, a hacksaw, two microwave ovens, and three rice cookers. Everything they needed for their tourism plan. After the purchase, Angus gave the itemized bill to Henry Cho and told him that they were almost out of money. So Henry Cho gave him an additional five thousand Hong Kong dollar. Checking the calendar, Henry Cho noted that the first of March, twenty thirteen, was a Friday, followed by a weekend. Henry Cho was sure that his parents' part-time company wouldn't come looking for them. And his brother would think they were just on a trip to Shenzhen, as he would plan. At least this would buy them two days to commit a crime and deal with the bodies. So Henry Cho scheduled the murders for this day. Subsequently, 
Angus resigned from his security job and informed his friends he had really important and highly confidential things to do. He asked them not to look for him for the next three months, assuring everyone that he would contact them once everything was done. So on the twenty-fifth of February, twenty thirteen. Henry Charles told his parents that he and a friend planned to rent a flat in a building, and he was going to move out from his parents' place. He asked his parents to help clean and organize this new place. The couple was happy, thinking that this was Henry's way of starting to stand on his own. On the first of March, twenty thirteen, at eleven nineteen a.m. Henry Cho left home with his parents, taking a bus. At around eleven twenty-six a.m., the three arrived at the bus stop of their destination, getting off the bus and walking past a gas station, as you can see from the CCTV footage. At eleven forty a.m., they entered the building together. At twelve p.m., Henry Cho left the building alone. What exactly happened between eleven forty a.m. and twelve p.m. remains known only to Henry Cho and Angus at this brief twenty-minute period. Who killed the couple is a matter of conflicting statements between the two. Henry Cho's parents both grew up in Hong Kong. Went to the same secondary school and got married a few years after graduating. Their eldest son was born in 1977 and Henry Cho in 1984. In 1988, the Chos brought a two-room, one-hole flat. The parents took the master bedroom while the brothers shared the second room. Mr. and Mrs. Cho worked really hard and lived frugally. Even after retirement, Mr. Cho took on part-time security jobs, while Mrs. Cho did part-time clerical work. Later, they bought another flat in Hong Kong and two properties in Shenzhen. They made a will splitting their assets evenly between their sons. After graduating in Hong Kong, the elder brother went to study in Australia. When he returned to Hong Kong, he became an insurance broker. And continue living with his parents, no longer sharing a room with his brother, instead sleeping in the living room. The Chos had high expectations and hopes for their son's academics. From young, the brothers took piano lessons and had tutors to improve their English. According to Henry Cho, he often witnessed his drunk father beating his brother in childhood, and his brother would take it out on him after. That's his claim, right? So he never had a good relationship with his brother. Chen lived in the same building as the Chos and was one of Henry Cho's few good friends. They even went to the same primary and secondary schools together. Oh, and Chen is this twenty-year friends of Henry's when he was meeting up his cousin. You know, he was the one next to them. Chen remembers that after starting secondary school, Henry Cho was threatened by bullies and disciplined for fighting. For most of secondary school, Henry Cho was depressed with average grades. The only bright spot was when he dated a girlfriend, 
but she left for university in the UK and they broke up. Henry Cho's next few relationships also failed quickly. Henry said that the reason for him to lose out in those、um, competitions of romance because he was not tall enough. He complained that his parents passed down the height problems to him, and that they made him study English and piano instead of working out, which prevented him from growing taller. He is now only 164 centimeters tall and feels like he has no chance at dating. At 16, Henry Cho moved to Australia to study, but had a tough time in school as well. He said he was bullied because of his race and even got beaten up by some black guys. He said the stress led him to start worshiping Hitler and reading about him in books and movies. Henry Cho was fed up with studying in Australia, so he quit and went back to Hong Kong. And like I said, his elder brother moved to sleep in the living room, so Henry could take this whole second bedroom for himself. Henry was still mad at his dad for watching TV and playing this traditional Chinese musical instrument, erhu, all day at home, which made it hard to have peace and quiet. Since he was unemployed, Henry Cho became hooked on this online game called Tekken, where he played as a character named Jin Kazuma. This character had a tough childhood and gained dark powers after a traumatic event, which Henry related to his own experiences growing up. Henry Cho's mother was disappointed with his lack of direction. So she paid for him to study transport and logistics at the Hong Kong University in 2006. She likely hoped that he would pursue a career in an industry familiar to his parents, so the parents could help him get a job and stuff after he graduated. Right after graduation, Henry Cho has several short-lived jobs. A part-time job at HSBC, you know, the bank. Gave him insight into stock trading, which he shared on Facebook, claiming big earnings. He continued trading stocks over the next few years. Henry Cho finally started making money, and his parents were super happy about this. They decided to invest in a flat in Hong Kong to improve the relationship between Henry and his brother. The down payment for the flat was about four hundred grand Hong Kong dollar. And the Chos paid thirty percent of it. The brothers each paid thirty-five percent, and together they paid a monthly mortgage of two thousand Hong Kong dollar. However, for unknown reasons, Henry Cho began to sexually harass female bus passengers, and he became more absurd when seeing that no one actually reported him. Later, he even had sexual interaction with a date on a bus. In two thousand and eight, Henry Cho. Found work as a custom service clerk at a logistics company. On his twenty-fourth birthday, he brought his girlfriend home, but his mother first worry was like, "Don't bring girls home overnight." And so the girl left, feeling embarrassed. Henry Cho was really upset and sad because he felt that other parents wanted their kids to get married early, whilst 
His parents only made it difficult for him to have normal relationships and robbed him of important memories. His relationship with his mother got much worse after this, and she developed depression that same year. Though it's not clear if it's related to their family issues, Henry Cho then dated two girls in Shenzhen at the same time. In two thousand and nine, one of them got pregnant, but he wanted her to have an abortion. She decided to keep the baby and gave birth to a daughter after they broke up. Henry Cho has never met his daughter. He also had a girlfriend living in Japan then. That same year. Auditions were held for an erotic movie. Henry Cho applied, claiming to have rich sexual experience at the interview, and he felt, of course, couldn't be the male actor in this adult movie. Then Henry Cho expressed his sadness at this、um, passing of the renowned American pianist Earl Wilde on the fifth of July, twenty ten. He shared what Wilde's music has been a part of his life since childhood, and that Wilde would always be remembered in his heart. On the first of October, twenty ten, he criticized his mother on Facebook over political views. In May, twenty eleven, Henry Cho started a new job as a salesperson, updating on Facebook. How? Tiring it was as his first sales role. On the 18th of June 2011, he posted about the pain of failure in life and started a 23.5-month countdown to his 30th birthday on the 7th of June 2013. In the comments, he added, "Quoted, since I got sick recently, I think I have a long-term health problem. My kidney pain is keeping me up at night." And my heart feels like it's raising, similar to asthma. My family stresses me out, and it's making it difficult for me to sleep well. They don't listen when I speak. They don't want to believe. Oh well, it doesn't matter. They don't have to. I'm grown up now. I should take care of myself. I feel like my parents don't respect my lifestyle choices. I want to move out, but I don't have enough money to live on my own and be happy. I can't afford to see a doctor either. If things don't get better by the time I'm thirty, I might just leave my parents' home for good. And before I do that, I will make sure to get back at the people who have hurt me. I have constantly faced failure in my physical health and work. The stress is really getting to me. I'm in a lot of pain and feel let down. At the end of 2011. Chen, thus twenty-year-long-time friend, remember, offered Henry Cho a reporter position, but he's frequently scolded by his managers for being lazy. In April 2012, the stock market crashed and Henry Cho almost went bankrupt. He couldn't pay his mortgage and asked his parents to sell their seven million flat and gave him and his brother some of the money. His mother said no, of course. To avoid fighting, his brother bought Henry's thirty-five shares for eight hundred thousand Hong Kong dollar. Just so Henry didn't need to pay for the mortgage anymore. Henry Cho got money and quit his、um, reporting job. He put all those eight hundred grand Hong Kong dollar 
into the stock market again. By June, the market had lost almost all of his money. In January 2012, he posted on Facebook, "Some say all men are created equal, but I say all men are born potential rapists." On the 7th of June 2012, Henry celebrated his 29th birthday with friends at a restaurant. He hardly ever talked about his family on Facebook. But the day after his birthday, on the eighth of June, he posted a blurry photo that seemed to show that his mother was at the dinner table, probably having a family dinner to celebrate his birthday. Angus, born in 1978, is six years older than Henry Cho. His parents divorced when he was young, and his mother. Raised his older sister and him on her own. Angus was often bullied by his classmates because he was small and slow to react. He didn't do well in school, and after he graduated, he started working. Angus often received criticism from his bosses and colleagues in the workplace for being clumsy. While working as a security guard, he was given shoes that were too small. But he didn't ask for a replacement. He wore those shoes for three months, which eventually led to severe periodontitis. In 2000, while seeking medical treatment at a clinic, Angus met a nurse. They began dating and moved in together. And Angus developed a significant dependency on this girlfriend. However, in 2002, it said that. The relationship ended because the nurse girlfriend developed a drug addiction. Afterwards, Angus dated another girlfriend called Mia in 2005, but they also broke up a year later. In 2008, Angus traveled to New Zealand and met a new girlfriend there. To be with this girlfriend, Angus stayed in New Zealand illegally for nearly two years. This girlfriend frequently asked Angus for money, citing reasons like. Tuition fees and car accidents. Angus borrowed over a hundred thousand dollars from banks and friends to meet her demands. However, shortly after returning to Hong Kong in 2010, Angus discovered that this girlfriend had found a new boyfriend, leaving him heartbroken, struggling with overwhelming emotions and huge debts. Angus tried to keep himself at home by swallowing. Mercury, cough medicine, and rat poison. His family quickly took him to the hospital to get help. Even though he made it through, his memory was affected. In 2011, Angus was introduced to a Chinese woman living in Indonesia by his first nurse girlfriend's older brother. This was after Angus had attempted suicide due to a failed relationship. By that time. His nurse girlfriend had already passed away from a drug overdose. Although Angus had never met or talked to this woman before, surprisingly, the two got married on the second day of her arrival in Hong Kong. However, on the wedding night, the Indonesian woman informed Angus that she was already married in Indonesia and had a boyfriend. On the meantime. Wow, so she was technically dating three guys simultaneously. Anyway, Angus later found out that he.
his Indonesian wife was actually the niece of his nurse girlfriend. You know, her father had tried to use Angus to help his daughter get residency in Hong Kong, but because Angus had a lot of debt, the visa application was rejected, and his wife had to go back to Indonesia. Therefore, by the second half of 2012, both Henry Cho and Angus found themselves effectively single, and the two began to communicate frequently. Soon after, a brutal and bloody murder plan took place. So, which of the two actually committed the murder of Cho Kapo? On the twenty-third of February, twenty fifteen, the trial for the Cho Kapo murder case began in the Hong Kong High Court. Henry Cho, thirty-one, and Angus, thirty-seven, were accused of committing two murders and getting rid of the bodies improperly. They both admitted to unlawfully disposing of the bodies. However, Henry Cho was expected, claiming mental instability. Denied the allegations of plotting of inheritance and premeditated murder, admitting only to two counts of manslaughter. On the other hand, Angus overturned his previous statements, categorically denying the murder charges. Henry Cho's defense presented two arguments. Firstly, according to Henry Cho's statement to the police. Angus initially suggested killing the Cho Kapo, and Angus was the one who ultimately committed the murders. Henry Cho claimed to have only stabbed his father and did not actually commit murder. Additionally, most of the dismemberment work was done by Angus alone between the second of March and the fifth of March, twenty thirteen. Secondly, Henry Cho said. Three people in his family, including his dad, has schizophrenia symptoms. He often listened to a classic music piece that made him believe in the end of the world. A psychiatrist hired by the defense said this means Henry might have inherited mental illness and should be convicted of manslaughter. The prosecution called in. Two medical experts, including a psychiatric consultant and a psychiatrist from a mental hospital, to challenge the defense claims. They argue that Henry Cho showed narcissistic traits and a lack of empathy, blaming others for his own failures and seeing the murder of his parents as a solution. Although they acknowledged some personality disorders, they stated that. Henry Cho was not completely mentally ill and was fully responsible for his action. Henry Cho's brother told the court that their family does not have a history of mental illness. He described Henry as someone who keeps to himself and doesn't talk much to others. He also said Henry seems to have a sense of entitlement. He explained that while their parents were strict, they never abused them. He also said that. There were no conflicts at all in the family, despite Henry's struggles in school and work. Angus took back his confession in court and said he wasn't at the building when the crime happened. He explained that he was held by the police for forty-one hours and was questioned intensely for a total of nine hours over seven sessions. This made him tired and led him to confess to things he didn't do. 
There is no information about evidence showing that Angus was there either. But cameras at the building's entrance recorded Henry Cho and his parents going upstairs on the first of March, with one person coming down. Right? It's not clear why the surveillance inside the building couldn't be used to confirm whether Angus was there or not. Maybe because there are areas where the cameras can't see. That's my guess. The prosecution argued that Angus showed he knew about Henry Cho's plan to murder through actions like buying steak knives and a freezer to hide bodies, arrange for his sisters to move and quitting jobs and stuff. Angus said he didn't buy tools to dismantle and said he never bought a refrigerator. He explained that he was forced to resign by Henry Cho during a joint trip. Angus. Second girlfriend, Mia, testified in court on the twenty seventh of February, twenty fifteen. She described Angus as easily influenced and weak willed. She said he could be easily shaped and lacked awareness of protecting himself. She also believed that he would not harm animals or any single human being. Angus says defense lawyer called a clinical psychologist. To testified on the seventh of March as well, the psychologist had met with Angus seven times starting in late March 2013 and conducted intelligence tests. The results showed that Angus had an overall IQ of 84, which is below average intelligence. The argument was that with his low IQ, Angus would have difficulties planning a complex murder. Angus has never used violence when dealing with deceptions or bullying in the past. In fact, he was responded with kindness in some situations, like with this Indonesian wife incident, showing that he does not have violent tendencies. The psychologist noted that Angus's first sex statements were smooth and coherent, but in the seventh statement, where he confessed to murder. It seemed to struggle to communicate effectively. The psychologist described his seventh statement was being too simple and mechanical, leading them to believe that it was not a genuine account. The psychologist also noted that Angus's fear was very real when he talked about seeing body parts. He kept talking about it over and over, which showed that it had a big impact on him. The psychologist said. Angus showed signs of PTSD, you know, this post-traumatic stress disorder, like having a lot of bad dreams about the body parts. Angus' defense argued that the prosecution didn't have strong evidence to prove Angus' involvement in planning and carrying out the murder, and they didn't provide a clear reason for why he would do it either. They also pointed out that Angus has a lower IQ of 84, while Henry Cho has a much higher IQ of 126, making it unlikely that Angus could manipulate Henry into committing the murder. The defense found this idea unconvincing. The defense also pointed out inconsistencies in the murder charges against Henry Cho and Angus. The prosecution claimed that Henry Cho killed his parents for their inheritance, but when accusing Angus of plotting the murders, they said he influenced 
Henry by suggesting that murder was better than suicide. Then this argument raised the question: Did Henry Chow kill for money, or was he manipulated by Angus? If Henry Chow committed murder for inheritance, then the charges against Angus would not be valid. If Angus forced Henry Chow to commit the murder, then the prosecution would have to consider Henry Chow's motive. The defense claimed that Henry Chow confessed to his cousin about those murders and hinted at Angus' involvement as a calculated attempt to frame Angus. Well, they've been going back and forth like this. Finally, the trial ended in March 2015. While the jury was discussing the case, they wanted to know if it still counted as murder if Angus was not there but was believed to have been involved in planning the murder. So they asked the judge for the definition of murder. The judge said that being involved in planning a murder is considered conspiracy to commit murder, not the actual act of. The murder. The jury needed to determine whether Angus actually committed the murder inside this apartment on the first of March 2013 in order to find him guilty of murder. The jury took less than seven hours to reach a verdict. They found Henry Chow guilty of two counts of murder by a vote of eight by one and unanimously acquitted Angus of murder. Angus was given a one-year prison sentence for unlawfully disposing of a body, but since he was already spent almost two years in custody, he was released right away. Henry Cho was then sentenced to nine years and four months for preventing lawful burial and life imprisonment for two murder charges to be served at the same time. The judge criticized the police for holding Angus for forty-one hours and questioning him. The police held Angus for so long and questioned him at two thirty in the morning, which he thinks was unfair. They were clearly trying to get him before this forty-eight-hour limit, which is not right, especially considering that Angus is not very smart. The judge criticized Henry Chow for being manipulative and dangerous, while pointing out that Angus was unaware and ended up being used by him. Henry Chow took advantage of Angus's apartment to carry out his sinister plans, which is despicable. The judge said he doesn't usually talk about the jury's decisions, but this time he had to agree with them. Henry Chow always thought he was smarter than everyone else, but he was really bad at getting along with people. He never thought he did anything wrong and always blamed others. And even now, he doesn't feel sorry. As really messed up. It's been a while since I had the blabber section at the end, mainly because throughout the storytelling of many cases, I've already spilled a lot of my thoughts. But today, I've decided to bring back this segment and have a good chat about the case of Henry Cho and Angus. The act of killing one's own parents used to have a specific name called parricide. This includes factors like family hierarchy, social control, and behavior problems. Why did Henry Chow resort to such a brutal way to kill his parents? I believe we need to fully understand why this crime was committed. 
Firstly, emotional stress caused by cognitive issues. Henry Cho's parasite case involves a lot of emotional pressure, especially because the dismemberment of the body was not just about hiding evidence, but also a way for him to cope with his feelings. The intense emotional stress seemed to be linked to a clear cognitive mistake. To understand this, we should start to asking what Henry Cho cares about the most, and it seemed to be his appearance and height. Data suggested that he should be around 164 and 166 centimeters tall. Henry Cho is not very tall, and he thinks it's because he didn't exercise enough when he was a kid. Henry Cho often generalizes his failures as the result of unfair treatment and discrimination. He believes that his parents' pressure and his short statures have held him back from. Showcasing his true abilities, he blames his parents for all his misfortunes and overlooks his own lack of effort. For over ten years, he has blamed his parents for his struggles with discrimination and difficulty forming relationship with the opposite sex. He also feels that his parents have placed unreasonable expectations over him. However, the truth is that. Henry Cho has been in five relationships already, and it's hard to blame his parents for his difficulties with the opposite sex in all five of his relationships, isn't it? Secondly, he has clear financial motives. Henry Cho was deeply involved in the stock market and was always chasing after his first big financial success through stock investments. He was in a lot of debt from trading stocks, and his parents had always helped him pay it off. After a few quiet years, he once again started trading stocks and got into more debt. He went back to his parents to ask for help, but this time they said no. Henry Cho thought that if he inherited their properties, he could pay off his debts and prove himself. But his parents were healthy, so he thought about making him go away, since they hadn't been nice to him anyway. Well, in his mind, it seemed like a clear way to solve his financial problems by getting rid of them. Henry Cho even brought cement, planning to encase the remains in it and wait for seven years, hoping to gain access to those inheritance after a court declared them. Death from missing. Also, there's a twisted desire for self-expression and personality disorders. Now, when you look at this case, you might wonder if Henry Cho has a personality disorder or not. During the trial, the court brought in those two psychiatrists as expert witnesses, and neither of them mentioned any personality disorder in Henry Cho, right? There were no signs of any intellectual or organic brain issues either in him. In fact, Henry Cho scored 126 in IQ tests, while Angus only scored 84. But not having a personality disorder doesn't mean there are no scattered features of one. 
diagnosing personality disorders is very specific and involves looking for a combination of different characteristics in someone who is not mentally ill. Henry Cho's behavior, which includes dramatic mood swings, pride in being secretive, emotional detachment, and a paranoid state of mind, suggested that he might have a personality disorder. He owns assessment of himself as a psychopath or mentally disturbed person seems to be accurate based on his behavior. Henry Cho's standout feature is his unusual need for self-expression, which he demonstrates in various ways. For example, he openly gives interviews and seeks help in public, while he knew for a fact that he killed his own parents. Additionally, the day before his arrest, he was chatting with friends on messaging apps and proudly claimed to have killed his parents without being caught. This behavior confirms a theory. Individuals who experience prolonged social isolation and extreme self-esteem issues are likely to seek attention from society or others in these unusual ways. Lastly, the shift from suicide to homicide. It's not fair to blame Angus for this situation, especially since he didn't do well on the IQ test. Henry Cho had thoughts of suicide even before and had deadline he set for himself when he was 30 years old. But based on Henry's personality traits, his cowardice, low self-esteem, and lack of perseverance, would he actually go through with it? I don't think so. He had made similar remarks before, saying that if he were to die, he would take someone down with him. The people he wanted to implicate were likely those he resented. If he's talking like that, who would be the targets, right? He said he had a lot of friends, but they were mostly just people he knew or played games with. He didn't have deep conversations with any of them. He changed his jobs a lot or didn't work much, so he didn't spend a lot of time with other people in general. He said he hated his parents and his older brother, but it turns out that his brother was actually nice to him. As he had told his cousin at first he wanted to hurt his brother, but then he changed his mind because his brother had been kind to him. No matter what, Henry Cho couldn't have committed suicide, I think. Suicide was like a psychological bottom line he set for himself, an attempt to push himself to and a constant reminder that in this society, his parents had left him with no way out, not because he wasn't trying hard enough, but that's the excuse he made for himself. This served as a convenient excuse for him. In this situation, coped with the factors he mentioned earlier, it's likely that a conversation with a friend or any literally online acquaintances or a certain phrase or idea made Henry realize that he wasn't alone in his thinking, you know, by killing people. The realization led to the shift from suicide to homicide. And let's talk about Angus. Even though he was cleared of charges and set free, what's the actual truth behind this situation? Angus was involved in purchasing tools for the crime. 
which was also confirmed by the store owner of a hardware shop. And he communicated with Henry Cho anonymously over the phone and had his sister moved out of this apartment. Meanwhile, he was able to work and pay off a lot of his debt. It's difficult to believe his claim in court that he had no idea of Henry's plan to murder and dismember the victims. Another crucial question is whether Henry Cho, who is slender, could have overpowered both of its parents in less than 20 minutes. There is no evidence of Henry purchasing sedatives and the autopsy did not find any toxic substances in the couple's bodies. Therefore, it seems unlikely that Henry alone drugged and killed his parents. If Henry Cho managed to keep his parents in separate rooms, it also seems unlikely that he would be able to go to each room separately and harm them one after another. The forensic examination did not find any signs that the choke couple fought back or tried to defend themselves alone in any of the rooms, right? There were also no signs of a struggle or scratches on the walls. If one person was locked up while the other was being harmed, it is likely they would have fought back and screamed for help. In that case, the neighbors or anyone walking nearby would hear them as you know how thin the walls are. Given Henry Cho's careful planning, it is unlikely that he would choose such a risky method of murder. You know, based on everything that's happened. The scenario of Henry and Angus, each killing one person actually seems more reasonable to me. In the movie adaptation of this case, there's a character who refers to Angus. And yes, this case was turned into a mini-series called Stained in 2017 and a TVB drama called Oh My God, Your Owner in 2018 and also a movie called The Sparring Partner was released in 2022 based exactly on this case. Anyway, that's back to the story. So this character based on Angus pretends to be weak, acts as a psychic but actually manipulates Henry Cho into killing his, part his parents and wins sympathy from the jury and judge before calmly escaping. The character in the movie based on Angus is depicted as a ruthless and unsociable killer. However, Angus' real-life experiences prove that he is actually a good person who has been betrayed numerous times but has never displayed any violent behavior. So what's the truth then? Perhaps only Henry and Angus would know. And here is now the end of the video. I think that's my second video that passes the one hour time mark. As I am recording, I can't see the total time after the editing. Fingers crossed, I have some luck with the algorithm for this video. Anyway, thanks for watching and pairing with my sloppy research for the case. And I will see you in my next video. Bye.